What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Ringer Gambling Show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on all of the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the post and bet live same game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen at the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and up in President Select States. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Thanksgiving edition of The Ringer Gambling Show. This is the best show we will do all year, and I'm super excited to have a clash of worlds, worlds unite, worlds collide, however you want to term it. I'm joined today by my typical Wednesday co-host, Ben Solak, along with my typical Friday co-host, Joe House. And this is a special Thanksgiving edition that is going to be full of game talk, bets, analytics, film study, and of course, pies with a little bit of cake thrown in there. And if you guys have been listening to the Friday show, you know that Joe House was planning on sending out some pies. And if you know the reason he's doing that is because Ben and I talk about blame pie. We talk about who's responsible for what, break it up into percentages, who should be take the burden for these different mistakes different teams are making. And so it seemed to be the perfect idea. Mr. House went out and stepped up his game and delivered pies to our humble abodes. And I got to say, Ben doesn't live anywhere near me. And I got a note from producer Craig that said, be on the lookout. Some pies will be arriving today around 6 p.m. I'm like, okay, this is strange. Like a pie delivery around 6 p.m. That's a pretty precise time. I look outside around 6.15 and there's a stack of pies in a in a plastic bag at my front door. I go open up, bring it in, open up these boxes. And like the cake one house was still warm. So I got a lot of questions about how, who is making these pies that are being (laughs) delivered to my doorstep exactly on time. What is going on here? Well, you understand Sharpie that 
I have been enormously jealous of the Wednesday podcast sessions you and Ben Solak <laughs> have been rolling along here. And when you guys got going with the whole pie game, I said, whoa, 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 whoa. That, that, that's my lane. House of Carbs. I've been doing the food show for, for a number of years. I, I just have to step up my game. It's time to elevate. And and by the, the great glory uh, of, of God, the Thanksgiving holiday was approaching us. The blame pie. You guys have been rolling with that for a number of weeks. It was time to get the pies to the people. That's the two of you. Now, Ben Solak does not live anywhere near us, Sharpie. So, Ben, we had to do something special. I believe that his pies are from... Bob Evans. Yeah, that's uh, right. The, 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 the chain, right? So uh, now, Ben, what are the pies that you have in front of you? I've got traditional pumpkin, yes. traditional apple, which looks really good and is my favorite. Thank you very much. Uh, and I also have a chocolate peanut butter pie, which I've, I'll be very honest. I already had a slice of it. I don't know if that if I was supposed <laughs> to wait, but I already had it. It's extremely no, good. Go, go it's for covered it, in Reese's baby. cups. Yes. I'm very excited about this. I was when Craig sent the, the slack and I was like, we're going to eat pies during the show. And uh, he was like, yeah. And I was like, y'all are okay with that audio-wise? They were like, yep, House just does these things, man. We got to roll with it. I was like, All right, let's do it. Well, and, and Sharpie, we, we're lucky. We, we live, you know, relatively close to one another here in the DMV. And I've got lots of food peeps here in, in the local environs. My homie, Andrew Dana, the, the world-famous call-your-mother deli, a Jewish deli, because, you know, a, a Andrew uh, traditionally has, you know, a Jewish background, but, you know, the deli kind of goes in a lot of different ways and they they do, you know, a whole variety of different kinds of, of foods and themes and so forth, mainly bagels and sandwiches. But for the holidays, they step it up. And we have in front of us here today, Warren Sharp, a beautiful array. We have the s'mores pie, which is a wonderful chocolate pie, uh, graham cracker crust with a toasted caramel topping and chocolate slices. Now, Solak, if, if I could have figured out a way to get you one of these, you know, on the overnight, I would have, I would have done it, but uh, we'll, we'll make do. We the just got to get me to DC. That's the solution. Yes. Well, there Danny we Heifetz is here. Everybody, all of Ringer NFL wants to be in DC. Kevin Clark right. coming here next week. This this pumpkin joint right here is your traditional pumpkin, yes. But how about we elevate because it is a special holiday, the most special holiday. This is cre this is this is cheesecake, a cheesecake swirl, a, a, a creamy cheesecake swirl on top of the pumpkin. It takes the custardy pumpkin and you elevate for this beautiful holiday. And then because they're kind of all over the place. It, it call, now, this, I think we could get away, Sharpie, with calling this apple pie, but we're not going to do We're going to We're going to hew close to the form. This is actually an upside-down apple cake. It's more of a cake than a pie. I think there are some games. There are some teams. There are some coaches to whom I say, let them eat cake. And, and we're going to go through that as we, as we discuss uh, all of the angles and the bets and the wagers uh, and the situations that we have in front of us this week. Yes, we are. We're going to liken a lot of these games to Cakes Pies. We're going to be eating these as we go through the show. And the way that we're going to do this is we're going to go through the Thanksgiving Day games first, obviously in order. We're going to get you guys prepared for some matchups and angles. And then we're going to tackle some of the bigger games Um 
on Sunday. And when we get to some of those big games on Sunday, I'm extremely excited to, uh, I'm going to ask you, Ben, about the Jason Garrett firing. Uh, he, to me, is like uh, a creme brulee because he's kind of, a, his offense is kind of like just like a white custard, but it gets fired at, before it's done. <laughs> and that's what, that's what they serve, the, how they serve the creme brulee. But um, let's first start in with the Lions, Tigers, and Bears. Oh my, Sunday afternoon, the early game. Now this is at 1230 uh, Eastern time. So it, it's not going to destroy your morning unless you live out on the West Coast, but it could, you know, set the day behind a little bit if you really care about watching good football. But it's always good to crack open that first drink or so house and and really kind of let out some emotion on Twitter as we all point and laugh at some of these guys uh, trying to play football. So first, I'm going to ask you before I get into Ben, the line right now as we're recording this is the Bears minus three in Detroit and the total sits at 41 and a half. It opened at some spots up at 43, 44. It, the look ahead was 45. Has been bet down tremendously, obviously. There's rumors that Matt Nagy might get fired after this game. Um, where are you leaning here right now before we dig into the nuts of this one? Well, the first place I'm leaning is Mensa. I feel like we need to put Mensa on high alert. This is a full Mensa slate this week. Not only do we kick off the entire Week 12 slate with Dan Campbell up against Matt Nagy, but we also have David Culley and Robert Sala, Sala in, a, in, a, in a tussle, and we also have Arthur Smith up against Horny Urban this week. Urban Meyer, all of the greats are going head-to-head -head this week. Put Mensa on high alert, boys. The IQ football, the football IQ is coming in hot. Uh, my lean for this game is uh, appetizers. I would like to start with some delicious uh, Thanksgiving Day appetizers. We do my, my mother's Italian heritage. We have a wonderful antipasto to start. The only thing that I'm inclined to do with this game is play the under because I can't imagine a world in which either team scores 20 points. I guess they're going to fall over the goal line at some point. Both teams will. Um, I would like to not uh, show disrespect to the quarterbacks, uh, potential quarterbacks of the Detroit Lions. Tim Boyle, I think, had net 77 yards passing uh, last week. Uh, I'm not sure if that number's right. And there's a possibility that David... Is it blah or bluff? Blah. Wow. Blah. Blah. So neither one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it goes to like wow. It, it rhymes with wow. Like what you're going to see when he throws is, the ball. It is. It's literally wow if he comes in and plays football this week. Uh, my lean is is on the under of the total. That's my okay. lean this week. So you're you're leaning under. Now I will tell you that these two teams are 31st and 32nd in EPA added via their passing offense this season. So we got that going for us. Um, Detroit is averaging 2.1 fewer points, fewer yards per pass attempt than their opponents, which is the worst differential in the league. And the Bears are last in the league in non-passing fantasy points per game. So if you're looking at fantasy points from the Bears, you know that you have not been getting them. Um, I guess I'll just start with this relatively open-ended question, Ben. If you are about to get fired and you are supposedly this offensive genius, that's how we were introduced uh, with the whole uh, beautiful mind board that would design a lot of plays and all this stuff. And if you're about to be kicked to the curb, 
are you going full ham and just like throwing out tons of plays and just trying to make your offense look incredible against the Detroit Lions defense? What do you think the approach is for the Chicago Bears? They are going to be utilizing Andy Dalton. They seem to open up the off. At least they have a little bit more confidence in his ability to pass the football. We don't have to debate who's the better talent, but they do seem to want to throw the ball a little bit more with Dalton. Do you think that they open things up? Do you think that this offense looks a little bit more cohesive and creative this week, or do you think it's more of the same? I think it's it's more of the same, right? Like Nagy has tried to run his offense, uh, ran it with Dalton, didn't start fields because Dalton was ready to run the offense, was forced into playing fields, had to figure out how to run an offense for fields. Bill Lazor obviously got a lot more involved. And then when you know Nagy was back from COVID and we started to see them kind of keep shoehorning him into uh, offenses that he really shouldn't be playing in. So with Dalton, you can just run your base West Coast stuff and he'll execute. He's a veteran. He can do that. Uh, to me, what you do as Matt Nagy is you win the ball game uh, and you you make them fire you after a win, right? And so to me, that's you, you stay with your basic stuff. You stay with what you know Dalton does well. You let him captain the offense and you expect to be able to largely just sit on the Tim Boyle or David Blau-led lines and feel good about that. It is worth noting though, this Lions team moved the ball fairly well on the on the Bears when they played in the first half of the season. Score doesn't really reflect it because they had multiple turnovers on downs and through the air inside of the 10-yard line, but the Lions were effective running the football. And that, now there's no Akeem Hicks and there's no uh, Cleo Mack. This Bears running defense has gotten a lot worse than it was to start the season. And some of their young secondary players have regressed as well. And so even if we get Boyle or Blau, the Lions have shown even further a dedication to running the football now that Dan Campbell's more involved in, in the play calling, and they ran it pretty well on the Bears last last uh, or last month, I think it was. Maybe it was October. And so, in my head, this is a, a, a position where the Lions might actually be able to put some points on the board uh, and, and, and actually challenge the uh, the Bears for that first win, that elusive first win. Obviously, we, we have the first non-loss. We got halfway there. Now we've got to get all the way there and get that first win. The only other thing that's really interesting to me in this game is running back receiving totals. Uh, David Montgomery had nine targets in three weeks with Andy Dalton as the starter. Damian Williams had eight targets in three weeks with uh, with Andy Dalton as the starter. He throws to his backs because he needs a check down. Justin Fields doesn't. So you can get really cheap running back uh, uh, receiving yards right now in a lot of books. And then reception totals haven't even opened. But if they're at like two and a half, I'm buying. Yeah, both of these guys, Swift on the other side of the ball as well, uh, is mm -hmm. just like he's their whole offense at this point in time almost. And Montgomery, for sure, um, they're relying a ton on him, not really wanting to throw the ball very much. Now, they have played, it should be noted that um, the Lions have played a couple of games in terrible weather conditions. The game, both of these games were outdoors. They they had their bye. They lost at home 44-6 to to the Philadelphia Eagles. Then they have a bye. Then they go to Pittsburgh and tie in a downpour. And then they play the Cleveland Browns in bad weather as well um, and get the cover there. Cleveland was what, like 13, 13 and a half point favorite. Yeah. Detroit gets the cover there. So, you know, now they're playing in a, in a dome situation where weather conditions are not going to be factoring in here, where they should have a little bit more optimism about all the variety of different plays that they could try to throw out there. Um, I think this could be a sneaky bad, but yet can't take your eyes off of it because there is some interesting things happening out there type of game. Um, you liked some of the running back totals. I guess what I would ask of you is, is there a world where this Chicago Bears defense is so bad that what House is looking at, which is betting the under, might have a problem actually coming through because 
the Lions are able to do a lot better in this spot without weather playing a role. And then the Bears offense with Andy Dalton looks a little bit more efficient. And we have to keep in mind that this Detroit Lions defense is still terrible. Now they've played some pretty good offenses. They played the number two most difficult schedule of opposing offenses, but they have one of the worst run or pass defenses. Take your pick in the NFL. Yeah, I am at the point where I think that like I don't want this total as low as it is in the low 40s, just because if I do get a good Lions running game early and they're able to put 14, 17 points on the board in the first half, I know it's asking a lot for the Lions, but they were in a position to do that against Chicago that earlier this year. Uh, then we start to get heavy Bears passing game in the second half and Dalton, yeah, can be efficient enough to move the ball down the field. Also, we're noting they can run the ball in the Lions because they run it fairly well and everybody can run the ball in the Lions, right? And so... There's there's a a world where this game, like, like you said, like it's ugly, but it just stays one possession. It stays competitive. We know Campbell's aggressive on fourth downs, and all of a sudden we're at 24-20, and nobody knows how we got there because it didn't feel good the whole time, <laughs> but we did indeed get there. And so I, I am worried about total. If I'm anywhere on this one, like uh, I'll probably take lines of money line for something to do at 1230 in the, in, in, in the, in the afternoon as I'm getting ready for dinner, but uh, that's mostly going to be a sprinkle for fun as opposed to anything else. Uh, the other games in this slate are a lot more interesting. This one, I'll just take something, so I have something to root for. I just raised my hand. That's exactly the way that I want to play this. I don't want to really mess with the total. My question for both of you guys is the line opened at three and a half the, or, or even higher. The, the Bears uh, by three and a half or, or four, maybe, in some books. And then over the course of today, I believe, it went down to three. Was that the hashtag fire naggy stuff? That was driving some money towards Detroit? A little bit. Here's the odd thing about this game is that a lot of times you get, we'll fire the head coach. The next game with the backup coach, the team is rallying towards mm -hmm. something new and something with optimism. And, oh shit, if this guy just got fired, now my job is on the line. People are going to be looking at me differently. I better step my game up because I'm in part to blame for this guy getting fired, most likely, and all the guys tend to play better. It's very rare that there is a situation where a team is about to play on a short week and a rumor leaks that he's going to be fired, their head coach is going to be fired after that game, and we're not sure how the players are going to respond. What we do know is that when the Raiders played these very same Chicago Bears back in week four, and there were lots of rumors swirling about Gruden going to get reprimanded or punished in some capacity for, I think at one point, maybe it was one email um, or maybe it wasn't even yet that email. I forget what it was, but that offense looked like a total disaster. And some of the players did not appear to be inclined to play hard in that game. And the Bears go in there and win that game outright 24 to 14 as a, as a fairly big underdog. So um, I don't know if we're going to get that type of situation in reverse here for the Bears, but I'm sure there there is some question marks, and that's why some people are backing the Lions. I think that's entirely what it is. Um, so, House, we got your take on the game. You're kind of staying away from the total after uh, initially leaning towards it. I will say I started digging into the apple turnover mm, pie me too. or cake. Me too. And yeah. I, the re a couple reasons. Number one, yeah. could see a bunch of turnovers in this game. I like it. Number two, it is the worst of the pies on the plate because it's not even really a pie. It right, really right. isn't even a football game and it's by far the worst of them. And so <laughs> let's move on to a much more compelling game. And I may dig into the pumpkin cheesecake game. 
um, and, and save the rich chocolatey goodness for the last one, which is the s'mores pie. Let's talk a little bit about this Raiders-Cowboys game. Before I ask you what your thought is, House, let's talk about this point spread. Right now, this game is sitting at seven and a half points favoring the home team of the Dallas Cowboys. This is the game that a lot of people who eat an early meal on the East Coast are going to unbutton their pants at about halftime and watch this game in it, to its conclusion. And the Raiders are... Right now, the total sits at 50 and a half. Some spots are up at 51. So the look ahead on the total was 54 and a half, actually. W- mm-hmm. Reopened much lower than that once the Dallas Cowboys laid an egg. We're going to talk to Ben about that momentarily in Kansas City. Did not look like a very cohesive offense. And then they have some injury issues at the wide receiver position that we're also going to get into momentarily. So I ask you, House, you're looking at this game it's just moved about a half a point in favor of the Dallas Cowboys at this point, and the total sits at 50 and a half or 51. Any lean here before we break the game down, side or total? I hate the numbers. I I don't mind the, the matchup. I'm I feel bad for the Raiders. The Raiders, after their five and two start to the season, three straight losses, and really because of stuff that's happened sort of to them. They've been you know, the victim of highly unusual circumstances, the coach getting fired because of emails from 10 years ago, a, a tragic accident, uh, you know, during a, a, a bye week and their, their season's been completely derailed and, and, you know, they've lost their explosive play capacity. They were one for seven on third down conversions this, this most recent week over the three consecutive losses their uh third down conversion rate is under 33% and and you know they this was a team that was really kind of eye opening it was it was intriguing yeah. as the season got going they looked like they had stuff going on both sides of the football i'm i don't really want to bet this game if i'm going to do anything it'll be the dallas money line and that that'll be it that's my lean you you interested in taking that standalone dallas money line or are you looking at parlaying that with another money line do I ever do a standalone money line bet? <laughs> I mean, there's going to be a, a delicious Thanksgiving money line parlay uh, coming up here. I, hey, I, have. I'll, I'll, I will tell you this. I will tell you this. Sometimes just laying the money line, it is rich, but it's not the end of the world to do that. I know what ends up happening is you take a bet that you like a lot. Let's pretend it's the Dallas money line and you water it down with another money line for another game that you might not like quite as much. And that game ends up going less true to form. I'll I'll raise my hand tonight. I went ahead and uh, just laid the money line on Western Michigan against Northern Illinois. I didn't want to lay the points. I just laid the money line. It was, it was a really pricey money line, but the game was never in doubt. So it's not the end of the world just to take the, uh, the Cowboys money line. If that's uh, an approach, you're not going to make as much, but lay a dime may, you know, you're, you're still going to make a little bit of money there. Um, buy some more pies, of course. Um, Okay, so your opinion is Dallas Moneyline as we head into this game before we break it down with Ben. Uh, Ben, obviously, we got to talk first and foremost about last week's game against the Chiefs. The Dallas Cowboys did not score an offensive touchdown with Dak Prescott under center. That is the first time with a full game of Dak under center that they have not scored a touchdown since week 16 of 2019. Here is the perfect blame pie Part one of the entire Thanksgiving bonanza, Ben. Blame pie it up for us. The Dallas Cowboys offensive performance was that the Kansas City Chiefs defense 
Was it the Cowboys offensive line? Was it Dak Prescott? Was it the receivers getting injured? Was it the coaching? Take it another direction. How do we divvy up the blame for the Cowboys lack of offense last week? Yeah, I took a bite of pumpkin pie because they did really turn into a pumpkin, right? Uh, against the Chiefs. It should also be known, by the way, I had the Western Michigan spread tonight, so I'm sharper than sharp. Uh, <laughs> no, it was only because the the quarterback injury for NIU. Uh, the biggest piece of the pie goes to injury luck, right? And I think all good teams get that one game where you just look and you're like, oh, everybody's gone. Like, this just sucks, right? Uh, Zeke got banged up during the game. Tyron Smith was out for the game. They He's usually their left tackle. Uh, so they have Terrence Steele in there at left, and Steele spent more time on the right than he has on the left. Uh, and then they switched their left guard, which I don't love doing when you have the backup in. Uh, I know they wanted better play than they'd gotten out of Connor Williams. They put Connor McGovern in there to see what he could do. But continuity is so important on the line that if your left guard is a guy who at least has been out there playing left guard for the last eight, nine, ten weeks, he can help out that left tackle a little bit more, even if you feel he's a deficient player. And then once you get Smith in there, then you make the switch at left guard and Smith can help out that guy. And so entire left side of the line was different. Uh, Cooper's out of the game because he's in the COVID protocols. CeeDee Lamb goes out during the game. Zeke gets banged up during the game. And all of a sudden, we're, we're asking Cedric Wilson to make a, an important third down catch, and he drops it. And it just feels so laborious to get this offense moving down the field, right? Uh, the Chiefs' defense has improved. They are a better defense than they were. They are now an average unit, which is all really the Chiefs' defense has to be in order for the Chiefs to be a good team, right? Offense is going to carry you. Just go be average. And they are an average unit with, with some really nice plays against a banged-up Cowboys team. With that said, coming off of that, I do think we have an opportunity here for buying a dip on the Cowboys because Tyron Smith has practiced this week and is expected to play. Zeke is expected to play. I know Cooper's status is up in the air, but this is enough wide receiver depth that you expect them to be fine. And Dallas, or excuse me, uh, the Raiders cannot cover wide receivers right now. And the Cowboys have about as good of a unit as they've gotten. So to me, uh, seven and a half is a lot. I might just buy the hook and take seven just to be safe because, you know, this this Raiders offense has shown something. But the Raiders defense to win has to dominate up front. And if Tyron Smith is back on the on the outside, you do not dominate up front against the Dallas Cowboys. This trench is really, really good. And if, if the Raiders don't have that, they don't have anything. So to me, this is a, a Cowboys had a big, big, big face plant on national television. Now I get them on a short week. Uh, coming against a Raiders team that's reeling right now, I think they could blow them out of the water. There is a there is something to be said here for a team like the Cowboys or a team like we're going to talk about momentarily in the Bills. Uh, teams that were favored, teams that, well, the Cowboys weren't favored, but teams that w- had a lot of expectations and just came out and laid a total and complete dud to just get that bad taste out of their mouth really quickly and play on Thursday and not have to really digest that shitty film, just come out and do something new uh, with a totally different opponent and and try to get that taste out of your mouth, um, which I did with a sip of coffee here after I had some of this delicious pumpkin cheesecake house. I definitely like this one more um, than the uh, than the apple turnover cake, although that was, that was uh, equally good, um, but... It's yeah, a wonderful just, dessert. It's just not a pie, and we're we're all about pies this week, buddy. Yeah, it's, we we got to be pies. I mean, I would rate the apple pie turnover thing. I would say on the scale of uh, of one to ten, ten being the best. That to me was a five point eight. 
Five point sure. eight. Um, I think I messed up, and that would be better heated. That's why they delivered yeah. it warm. If I heated that up with a cup of coffee, maybe it goes up to six point two or six point oh, yeah, one. This is begging for a la mode. This is an a la oh, mode yeah, right there, here. There you you go. Yeah, I mean, this nice is how exactly start warm with the scoop it. and a coffee. That that that's this. That's how this dessert is intended to I be. I can't get enjoyed. over sharp with the with the decimal power ratings for pies. <laughs> he can't enjoy this. <laughs> food without ranking it man come on no now. and i i will tell you how the next time i dive into that because obviously there are three fucking pies in my yes. garage right now staying cold here in dc i am going to be using the a la mode style with that one um we, we just wait like next week's pods that you know we're gonna look like 15 pounds heavier um <laughs> but it's gonna be worth it uh how good this stuff is so ben let's dive back into this um let let's talk a little bit about this Raiders offense, which also has not been clicking right now. And, you know, where do we see this team? Because 51 points potentially is a relatively high total. And the Cowboys defense, did you think that they played particularly well in limiting Mahomes? The biggest question we had entering that game was, would Dan Quinn adapt his defense to try to take away the things that, or to try to play Mahomes the way that we know would slow him down the most? Obviously, it was not a massive offensive output by the Kansas City Chiefs in the game, but it was a clear and convincing win. Um, were you satisfied with the effort that Dan Quinn made? And how do you think that he goes about matching up with this Raiders defense? These are actually two defenses that are coordinated by guys mm -hmm. from that Seattle system. Yeah, and and Gus Bradley, who's the coordinator for the Raiders, lives and dies by cover three, baby. I mean, he just did not going to change his stripes. And we saw that against the Chiefs. And then we get a week later, Dan Quinn, and we say, all right, is he going to learn from his predecessor's mistake? And he did. Uh, he did his he did his best to run some some cover two some two man stuff as we talked about on the previous Wednesday show he just don't don't really have the personnel to get it done it's just not the way they built out that team uh, when you got your first round picket linebacker playing sixty six of sixty eight snaps at edge you know you're kind of in a position where you're just scrambling in terms of who you can get on the field and how you can get them there they're obviously dealing with the absence of Randy Gregory and Demarcus Lawrence as well and so they they needed that help on the outside um, so they were kind of fitting a square peg into a round hole but generally continue to play well. And it's the disruption of this front that even without Gregory and, and Demarcus Lawrence, Osa Digazua, Tristan Hill is back, Michael Parsons on the outside, generated enough pressure. And then with a really good outside corner in Trevon Diggs, they were able to sit on the Chiefs enough. You hold Mahomes under 20, that's a good day in the office. You got to feel good about that. Now you get a Raiders team, which the biggest step back for the Raiders has been... Uh, when they, they 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 move on from you know John Gruden as their head coach and then they lose Henry Ruggs, whatever com combination of those two ideas it was, they have stopped being a pass first, pass downfield team and started to become a little bit more of a run first, get to third and manageable team. And we've seen Derek Carr start to become that which he was. Right now, uh, in terms of throwing beyond the sticks on third and medium, like third and five to ten. Jared Goff is the last person in the league, right? He throws super short of the six all the time. We've always known that. Derek Carr is second to last. That wasn't true early in the season. He was pushing it. He was getting the ball beyond the sticks. It looked like he had turned over a new leaf. He's back. And, and, and it's a little bit because of the play calling has changed. It's a little bit because of the, the deficiency, but it is where we are now. And so against this team, you can sit and play man. Right, Hunter Renfro is going to get his. Darren Waller is going to get his. They don't have a great Waller answer, but you feel conf confident saying we're going to put our guys up in the line of scrimmage. And we're going to press. We're going to disrupt. We're going to be able to get pressure with four, and we're going to tell Derek Carr to beat us through the air. 
two months ago, that wasn't an answer you wanted. But with what the Raiders have become, that's the answer that you'd like to give. And that's how the Cowboys want to play ball. So defensively, big advantage to Dan, Dan Quinn's unit in this one. Okay, so this does seem like a tight end game. I mean, Dalton Schultz obviously had to step up last week with some of the wide receiver absences, and you can get tight end production against this Raiders defense. You can get tight end production against this Cowboys defense, as you mentioned with Darren Waller. So from a player props perspective, you might want to look at some of the tight end stuff here. Do you have, uh, Ben, a thought on the side or total? Seven, seven and a half. Obviously, you could use the Wong teaser strategy and move this down to a nice short number short of the field goal if you wanted to go with the Cowboys here um, or you like the Cowboys against the spread or anything with the total. Yeah, I I, I do like Cowboys seven and a half. And accordingly, I'll, I'll be putting the Cowboys into probably a couple of teasers this week. Uh, there's not really any other great teaser options on the board right now. This is the widest spread of any game in week 11, which is kind of nuts. But uh, if you're able to tease with this one, this is a good spot to do it. So I like Cowboys seven and a half. Uh, on the total, I'm worried about enough garbage time nonsense that we go over. And especially I'm worried about the Cowboys doing what the, the Chiefs did and like hanging leg- a legit 40. But if you can find a team total Cowboys at like 28, which you, you're going to have to pay a little bit of juice, but they're still around. That's something that I would want to take um, because I'm confident this Cowboys team running or passing four quarters, whatever game script it is, they're going to move the ball in the Raiders. And so if you're not certain about how much to trust this Raiders offense, just take Cowboys team total and protect yourself. I don't, be- I don't believe in this Raiders defense that much anymore. Okay, so you think, especially in this matchup, and if you get Tyron Smith back, one of the strengths of the Raiders, as we discussed all year, their ability to get pressure without blitzing. The strength. The strength. Period. The strength. Right? Like, yes. It's what they've got. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah, so if, if they can't get that pressure against a really good mm-hmm. offensive line, uh, and they can't generate that, then they have to send blitzes, or they're just not going to get pressure. And in either yeah. case you've got an upper hand for the offense right now. Yeah, and and you said they got to send blitzes if they don't get pressure. You know what they do when they don't get pressure under Gus Bradley? They rush four. <laughs> he doesn't do it. Right. He doesn't, it, it. There is no coordinator in the league right now who is more so Tiger does not change his stripes than Gus Bradley. Dak Prescott's seen cover three for his entire life. He's going to shred this thing up. Uh, I, again, this to me is a, is a buyback spot. If the Cowboys had been healthy CD lamb one possession game against the chiefs to me this would be like a nine point line uh so if i'm getting that point and a half i'm taking it and and any player props that you're looking at here besides maybe waller uh weekly basis i'm betting tony pollard uh he's just simply as i was about to say as talented as zeke it's not true but as a runner he's got really legit juice and this is a timeshare this is like you know 65 35 when it comes to, to the backfield and so you can get Rushing yards over 36 and a half and uh, receiving yards over 13.5. I edge running a little bit just because obviously I think it's going to be a third quarter, fourth quarter run the football script uh, for the Cowboys. But 13 and a half, I mean, Pollard's going to pick that off on one screen. You know what I mean? Like they, they use him a lot for those numbers to be so low. So I bet Tony Pollard overs on almost a weekly basis at this point, And it's generally done pretty well for me. So that's where I am. Zeke's got a, a knee tweak, right? I mean, that mm-hmm. whatever an injury that occurred, you know, back in week nine. You know, he's on the the injury report right now with with limited practice. Now maybe that's protective, but there is a, a reference to the knee. So the Pollard overs um, are very appealing. The one thing I wonder about, and I hate to really belabor this, the the Raiders' defense was pretty damn good last week against Cincinnati. The score going, you know, with a, a minute into the fourth quarter was sixteen yeah. thirteen, and 
you know, it was a bunch of turnovers by the the Raiders, you know, that that made this, uh, you know, it was kind of a, a, a faulty final in the sense that it looked like a blowout by the Bengals when it really was a pretty close game through three quarters. Um, and, and the defense ultimately got tired and, you know, uh, bad field position, adverse field position because of the turnovers. Uh, that that's what concerns me. I liked early on when Ben was talking about the idea of buying the hook and then and and having that be a little bit protective on the line for Dallas. But I'll play the Dallas money line. Maybe something on Dallas. Maybe I'll buy it. it's minus one twenty to get Dallas at minus seven. Um, I do love the Pollard overs is the thing that I think I would invest uh, the most in. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. Yeah, I'll just say this house. Um, I know a lot of people did bet the over of that Bengals game last week and, and were disappointed that it didn't get there. I did not bet that game. I didn't, my model didn't see enough value there. Uh, but the Bengals only punted twice. They had 10 drives. They only punted twice. Their problem was, uh, they were settling for far too many field goals, right? And, and we see sometimes offenses off of a bye week. You just don't know exactly what you're going to get. And we're going to talk momentarily about like Tom Brady and the Bucks offense off of the bye um, and how they performed last, you know, this this very last game on Monday Night Football. But um, OK, so you still are you you are not dissuaded. Ben did not dissuade you from leaning to the Dallas Cowboys there. And uh, I would rate the pumpkin cheesecake probably a seven, eight. And the only reason I can't get a seven, nine on this one is because Partially, it doesn't really know if it's a cheesecake or a pumpkin pie. And I do feel like those are completely different universes. I like the pairing of the two, um, but I'm so close to Thanksgiving that I was thinking it would be more like a consistency closer to a pumpkin pie. I was foolish in believing that. Um, much like I was foolish in believing that the Buffalo Bills would figure out a way to pass Ooh. the football against this Indianapolis Colts secondary last week and improve in some capacity. We know that the Indianapolis Colts defense were very good against the run, Ben. We talked about this before and we'll get into breaking it down, but they struggle against the pass. And thus there was the thought process that, okay, perhaps and potentially Buffalo's passing attack could look a little bit improved against this secondary uh, because it's more of a pass funnel defense. They're number two against the run and number 26 against the pass. That really didn't work out. We're going to break down the Bills problems with you momentarily, but House, we are looking at the nightcap. This is the s'mores game. This is the pump. This is the s'mores pie I'm going to dig into it as soon as I get done asking you this question. Um, can't wait. Buffalo against the Saints, 8.20 p.m. kickoff Thanksgiving evening. Hopefully everybody has digested the food and is now moving on to whether it's a second dessert phase or it's more alcohol phase. Um, and you're sitting back to watch Josh Allen, Brian Dayball, and this offense try to get back on track against the Saints defense that was shredded by the Philadelphia Eagles just one week ago. This line opened at Bills minus four and a half. 
Some spots got a little Saints money to get it down to four. And then whack, it moved up towards the Buffalo Bills. And then whack again, two whacks from very, very sharp groups on this game that I am quite familiar with who they are. And now this line sits at conservatively five and a half. There are a couple of spots that still have five and a half. Most of the spots have six. And I'm even seeing a couple spots out in Vegas, Circa, Westgate, up at six and a half points now the current line for the bills being favored on the road against the saints on a short week the total has dipped from 46 47 down to 45 and a half in some spots 45 so under and bills is what's coming in there are some injuries as it relates to the saints um the running back situation isn't great they might get armstead back who's their left tackle Ramcheck didn't look like he might he would make a return and then the player who is filling in on the line he also suffered an injury, Landon Young, um, and that's a season-ending injury. So now he's out. So a replacement tackle who was playing last week in place of Armstead, he's out this week uh, and for the rest of the season. So House, are you buying what the Bills are selling you here in the in the sharp betting groups? Are you looking to lay the Bills under a touchdown on the road, or do you think this is too rich? Well, first, I want to give you a delicious bite of the sweet s'mores pie for the very professional podcasting job you did in segueing into this game. It was top notch, buddy. We both watched it happen. It was Facts. outstanding. A tip of the s'mores to you. See, cheers. Spends all over it. Cheers. Um, I like the Bills and I like them at less than a touchdown, but. I'm I'm hitting pause because of all of the line gyration and it would happen today. And, and, and I'm glad to hear you explain it was two sharp groups that came piling in. The Bills have not lost consecutive games yet this season. We believe uh, the Royal we that the Bills have uh, Super Bowl pedigree. They certainly have Super Bowl ambition. We'd seen them play very competitively against uh, good teams this year. The, the, the thing you have to convince yourself of is that the turnovers last week were an aberration, that, that it was a flat spot for them, it was a flat game for them, and this is a get-right, get-whole moment against a Saints team, and Ben mentioned this. We're kind of at the point of the season where injury um, is, is, is across the board affecting a lot of teams, and it's just like too much to ask for the Saints to be up to the task against a team of, of the Bills caliber, and that would be the thesis for why I would join the, the Sharps and, and get in on, on the Bills at less than a touchdown. Now, before we toss to Ben, I will just say, I don't feel like last week for the Bills was a flat spot, a letdown spot, or any stretch of the imagination. Um, this was a huge game for them in the AFC, and it basically was the first game as we discussed on the pod with you on Friday and also earlier in the week with Ben where the Bills were going to be tested against an actual really good defense. They've been playing a lot of cupcakes the vast majority of the season defensively and the Colts actually have a top 10 defense and we knew that the Bills as I shared with you were going to be going through a stretch from last week to Christmas where they play nothing but top 10 defenses the rest of the way. And so they better figure out how to attack this team very quickly. And what it appears to be is that opposing defenses have figured out how to attack the Bills. It doesn't help that your two offensive linemen on the right side are both out. Um, but there are other issues at play here, Ben, that are causing the Buffalo Bills offense to get derailed. 
And now you're going up against a Saints defense that is coming home to lick their wounds as well. This is a game that they're marching out Drew Brees to celebrate his accomplishments at halftime, I guess. I think it's at halftime. Um, they're going to have a massive ceremony. Oh, that's going to be broadcast all over. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if they're going to give him a laminated sheet of paper uh, like they did during the game where he broke the passing yards record and interrupted everything. Um, that was so classy. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm not sure how, how that's going to factor in here. But rest assured, the crowd is obviously going to be jacked up. And the, both of these teams need this game by blood, like blood, Ben. So first, let's start with the Buffalo Bills. What didn't you like mm -hmm. about their game offensively against the Indianapolis Colts? And then what parts of that do you think are capable of being remedied on a short week to play the Saints? Oh, man. All right. So what did I like? Everything. Uh, and and <laughs> here, here's here's the difficult truth for me about, about the Bills. I'm going to uh, pull some numbers here. This is from Seth Galinas piece and PFF on this offense. Uh, they are seeing the third most too high safety looks post-snap uh, in the league. They're also seeing more zone coverage than they did in years past. Uh, they're at 64%, whereas Allen was at 53% zone coverage in 2020. Uh, and particularly, Allen's struggling against cover two. He's 33rd in the, in the league in yards per attempt when seeing cover two, and he's seen it more than any other quarterback in the league. They have built this team uh, to throw the football around the yard. They built this team to spread the football out, right? We're going we to trade for Stephon Diggs. We're going to sign Emmanuel Sanders. We're going to have Cole Beasley. We got Gabriel Davis as our fourth. We got Isaiah McKenzie to be our little gadget guy. We got Dawson Knox, who's a really good receiver at tight end. We're going to spread you out. And then Allen is going to just Howard to this thing across the field, right? We're going we're gonna to spread you out. So we're going to make space in these zones and then we're going to hammer it. Allen has not been as consistent throwing the ball through zones this year, right? Just he was amazing in 2020. It was not a strength in 2019. Now it's somewhere in the middle. But they also have a problem in how they built this receiver core where you want a ball winner. You want a guy who's going to win a contested catch for you. And right now, their only big-bodied receiver is Gabriel Davis, who's their like blocking guy. He's not a consistent player. He's a second-year Sixth round pick, I want to say he was coming out of UCF. Uh, Dawson Knox, the tight end. I think they'd love to get him more involved as a ball winner, but he's not really like a route runner. And so it's tough to get him like outside of the numbers. He's more used as a spot up guy. So they're just trying to like beat all zones with Cole Beasley option routes. It's if like Brady and Wes Welker did it, but you really got to be Brady and Wes Welker to do that all the way down the field, right? And Brian Dable would know he was there. He saw it. The other thing you can do against two high is run the football. They did not build to run the football and they can't. Do it. They, they, they. If you look at the uh, like the box score on on success rates on early downs, they had eight drives start with a rush, seventeen drives start with a pass against the Colts. Their early rushes had an EPA of 0.26. Their early down passes had an EPA of negative 0.05. The Colts just lined up with seven dudes deep and said, "We're going to stop the pass. Run it. We dare you." And the Bills don't have that. They're, they're putting Matt Braid out there right now, trying to find a back who can be impact for them on these early down runs. They don't have it. And so for me, when I look at the Bills, make a little apples to apples comparison, my apple pie, Ooh, to, the Kansas, apple. to the Kansas City Chiefs. Because this is a very similar problem to that which the Chiefs saw. We got a lot of too high. They're daring us to run it. They're daring us to find solutions to just too deep zone. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, these are real trustworthy guys. They've, they've figured out some solutions. They ain't perfect yet. They're not there yet. But you believe in that coaching staff. You believe in that quarterback. The Bills, Brian Dable and Josh Allen have not earned that uh, that tenure to me yet. And they're getting a team that plays a lot of too high, 
plays a lot of zone in the New Orleans Saints. This is a, a defense much like the Colts, who is well-built to give the stuff that Buffalo doesn't like. I'm very concerned about another Buffalo letdown spot because to me, there's no easy solution. I have not seen this coaching staff make quick changes the way I've, I've seen and trusted the Chiefs to do it. And they're getting a defense that majors in this sort of stuff the same way the Colts do. So for me, like Bill's makes a lot of sense, but I'm much more so on the under. I took it at 47, and I'm really worried the Bills are going to put up another stinker. So what's interesting is the Saints have or have had such a great run defense, and the Philadelphia Eagles took advantage of that. I mean, obviously, Jalen Hurts had a lot of success running the football himself. I think he had 16 or 18 rushing attempts, scored three rushing touchdowns. His overall rushing efficiency, he wasn't producing like six, seven yards of carry, but it was efficient runs when they needed situational spots and things of that nature, but a lower yards per carry. But the other backs on the Eagles roster were averaging five, six yards of carry against this team. Um, but that's a team in Philadelphia, we said, I don't know if they're going to be able to run. We know that they want to run. You surmise that they would still try beating their head into a brick wall if need be to show that they can still win regardless of how good your run defense is. And they were able to accomplish that. The Buffalo Bills, though, are not that style of team whatsoever. Um, and do you think that the answer for them in this game, which would obviously play to your under, would be to run the football more? Um, to try to do that at a higher rate. Um, and if that's not the answer to try to either make the Saints play honest or to work the ball down the field, what do you think the answer is when you've got a quarterback like Josh Allen is struggling? You're going up a Sa against the Saints defense that plays a lot of cover too. What is the answer for Brian Dayball and the Bills? Yeah, so the, the Eagles ran the ball against the, the Saints because for two major reasons they ran it so well. Number one, they're just physically dominant. Holy smokes. Like, they're just big. <laughs> Man, they're big. Uh, and Jason Kelsey's quick. And so they've just got four big guys and Jason Kelsey. And then they put three tight ends on the field. And they they dare you to put as many guys in the box as you can, and then they hammer you in the teeth, right? The second thing is that, like you said, Jalen Hurts changes the calculus. We're still figuring out how to calibrate to rushing quarterbacks. We like markets, fantasy projections, uh, just regular film analysts like it is it is still a a undefined edge just how much a running quarterback matters in the context in which they matter we've seen the bills use josh allen as a runner in instances where they feel like they need a win so i expect more running but i expect it with josh allen i expect we got third and three right we're, we're actually trying to get to a third and manageable here because usually they're, they're a third and long team we're going to get to a third and manageable with some quicker underneath passes and then we can run it with josh allen and we can use him to firstly even out the numbers a little bit and secondly break a tackle in space. Josh Allen's a big boy. He'd be like a tight end. He can explode too. And so you use him as a runner. He will get some tough yardage for you, right? And the other thing is those quick underneath passes. This was the Chiefs solution. All right, if you're going to play two deep zone on us, you're going to drop to eight yards. We're going to throw the ball to Michael Hardman right now. We're going to throw it to Byron Pringle, to, to, uh, Tyreek Hill right now. And we're going to try to replace our running game with the screen game, with the RPO game, with the quick passing game. We call them constraint plays in football, right? You're going to run a, a, an inside zone with a bubble screen attached. Well, throw uh, either run the inside zone until they, they have to respect it, then throw the bubble, or throw the bubble until they have to respect it, and then run inside zone. Both the Bills and the Chiefs aren't really well-built to run the football. That's the thing. Buffalo can't just decide to run a lot more. They don't have the tight ends for it. They don't have the offensive linemen for it. The interior is not built to do this. So you have to find a, a cheesy way to kind of get your running reps. And to me, that's... Isaiah McKenzie, jet touch. That's, uh, you know, a uh, uh, tunnel screen, uh, Stephon Diggs, right? That's throwback, not throwback screen, but like wide delay screen, Dawson Knox. You got to open up your screen game, open up your quick passing game, and let that replace your running game. Tell Allen, listen, ADOT's going to be five. 
but it doesn't matter if we're picking up first downs. That's what we need to do right now. So use the shallow passing game to replace your running game a little bit. Your receivers got to be able to get out in front and block. And that's another area where the Bills are deficient. This team is built for speed and quickness. And 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 defense right now are just flooding the deep areas of the field and saying, beat us with size. They don't have that answer right now. So I would try the same stuff the Chiefs do, but it's going to be a little bit trickier because they don't have the same personnel the Chiefs do in terms of that screen game. Yeah, you mentioned the cheesiness. House, I want your take in a second when I kick it back to you on cheese on apple pie. I've heard that is a thing, melting cheese with your apple pie. I don't know if you got a take on that, but... I was a little bit surprised. Josh Allen, only two rushing carries against the Colts. They absolutely, I don't disagree whatsoever, need to utilize him more. Let's pretend that you've got a pie, Ben, a a circular pie, and a pie represents how long a play is from start to finish, right? From, From the time that the ball is snapped until the time that the player is tackled at the end of that play, whichever the player is who has the football. I feel like right now, Josh Allen is holding the ball and he occupies when every snap, like 40% of the Bills uh, right, yeah, yeah. play. And I think that that needs to be down closer to like 25%. It needs to be much lower than what it is right now. As you mentioned, just get the ball out of your hand. And if it means a shorter pass attempt, a short, lower dot to a receiver who's now in space so he can do something with the football afterwards, that's what we need to see. We don't want to see Josh Allen running around behind the line of scrimmage trying to buy time and then still throwing it short or throwing it deep into multiple coverage. You know, like I I just feel like they need to get rid of that ball quicker. On the other side of the ball, though, Ben, um, this is a Bills team that leads the NFL in pressure going up against a O-line of the Saints that is obviously very disheveled right now and injured. And both of their running backs are injured as well. It's a team that would like to try to run the football a little bit more, but they can't really do that. They have Taysom Hill. One of the crazy things to me about this Taysom Hill contract, I know there's a lot of funny money in there, but we got to mention it. Sean Payton goes out of his way. I know uh, with Kevin Clark, Clark uh, posted a uh, tweet with Sean Payton talking all about Taysom Hill and this and that. If Taysom Hill is everything that Sean Payton is claiming him to be, why does he carry the football on average uh, three times a game? Why does he throw the ball one time a game? And why does he catch the ball one time a game? Like if he's such a weapon and they're completely devoid at the running back position and they don't have the players at the receiving position and their quarterback is like their third string type guy, why, if if not now for Taysom Hill to be more involved in this offense, I'm not sure what you're waiting for here. If he's such a threat that everybody would trade picks to get him, all 31 other teams would just run to bang your door down to try to get this guy. But I wanted you to talk a little bit about that side of the football. When the Saints have the ball with this Bill's pressure rate and their defense in general, um, were there any things that massively concerned you last week? Obviously, the Colts, I think, took advantage of a Bills defense that was a little bit overrated based upon who they'd been playing and they really hadn't been tested. But I don't know that the current O-line of the Saints with the running back health of the Saints is going to have anywhere near the level of efficiency against the Bills defense. So how do you see this side of the ball playing out? Yeah, I think that, you know, okay, like five touchdowns, you know, 32 carries, 185 yards, like Jonathan Taylor ate this team up. The two most important run defenders to the Bills are Starlo Tulele, who's their rotational defensive tackle. Big fella was a was a COVID opt out, but he's he's just a good spacey and nose tackle. And then Tremaine Edmonds, who's their supersized middle linebacker. Neither played against the Colts, and they just very simply the the Bills want to live in sub packages on defense. They didn't have Tremaine Edmonds out in the field, and they still just 
we're going to live in sub packages. We're going to live with three safeties on the field. And the Colts were like, we're going to put two tight ends out of here. Tight ends out here. You okay with that? Those were like, yeah, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. And then the Colts just ran it all over him. You know what I mean? Like the Colts said, if you're going to go light, we are going to go heavy until you stop us. And Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier wanted to be a sub package team. And so they were unable to, to, to kind of, to kind of make that shift. Uh, the potential of getting those guys back helps, but also with Alvin Kamara and potentially now Mark Ingram, who was limited in practice, not playing. I mean, this Saints, this Saints team is so ugly without Alvin Kamara. Ingram's been good for them as an acquisition. Without him, man, it's Tony Jones Jr. It's Marquez Calloway still. Like it is just the 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 talent deficiency on that side of the ball to me is is too much to overcome. Even if the Bills are a little bit overrated on defense because of the the cupcake schedule, oh, man, I just it, they have talent and they're well coached and and the Saints are well coached and they got like Trevor Simeon and, and Tony Jones. It's just, it's too little for me to trust. And so another reason why I like the under, we saw Simeon turn into a pumpkin a little bit last week as well. As I take a bite of pumpkin pie, uh, Taysom Hill is a giant troll job. Sean Payton's trolling the league. I don't buy it for a second. Thank you for your time. So house, talk to me <laughs> first about the apple pie with the cheese on top. Have you heard of this? And is it any good? Because I've never tried it, but I have heard of it. I think it's a, a Midwest thing. I, I haven't done the full like etymology. And, you know, there is a, a kind of logic to it. It is not that dissimilar. You know, the, the, the process for building uh, a sharp cheddar cheese is not radically different from the process of building a delicious creamy ice cream, right? So it's a little bit of a a, a different kind of direction. If you like a, a more savory, salty kind of accent with your sweet, or do you like you know sort of that that creamy cold? And I absolutely uh, appreciate both approaches. I have I I grew up here on the East Coast. I'm an Alam, uh, Alamode kind of fella, but I'm not afraid of cheese. I mean, if you want to put cheese really pretty much with anything, I will uh, definitely amen to that. Go ju- jump on it, and and you know, especially like sharp cheddar with apple. Um, th- those those that's a that's that's a a powerful palate enhancer is the way that I would uh, think about it. Um, I, I I do want to uh, again like finish the thought on this conundrum with the Bills offense. And I especially appreciate the comparison with the same kind of challenge that the Chiefs were confronted by. Wasn't it just 12 months ago that we were patting the Bills on the back for this incredible innovation they've come up, they came up with in terms of personnel for an intermediate passing game that Josh Allen was super efficient at? And my question is, what the hell happened to that? Because that is what we are describing as the thing that feels like it's missing, and it's the thing that the Chiefs have started incorporating in. Now, maybe it's it's a personnel issue, um, but isn't that what Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs were supposed to be? These like uber-talented route runners that are... Awesome at intermediate um, uh, routes. If you uh, you ever uh, you ever go like all in with uh, with trips on the flop, and then all of a sudden the turn comes, and there's three spades on the board. And you didn't realize they're like, oh, <laughs> right. That's kind of what it is. They they said we're gonna we need to spread this out and let Allen just shoot it intermediate and deep for him to be the passer we need him to be. And it worked. And they said, this is what we're going to be. This is what we are as an offense. And then defense has said, hey, we're going to do everything in the entire world. Like, I go always back to that Steelers game in week one where the Steelers were like, we're just going to play. Like, it's it's double buzz, right? It's two safeties sitting at 15 yards. And we said, we're going to not give you just this area. Throw it literally anywhere else. And the Bills went, oh, we, 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 didn't, we didn't plan for this, right? They are pot committed to this style of offense. And so they went all in on it, which is a good team building thing. Once you have a hot iron, strike it. 
But now they, they, they need that, that second punch, right? They need that adjustment. That's why I say, like, Andy Reid has earned our trust. He's dealt with things like this before over the course of his career. We don't know if Dable has that yet. They might get it. Week 14, something clicks. They figure out what they need to do. But it's not something we, we know they have yet. So they're, they're pot committed to this approach, and they have all this, this same style of, of receiver. Beasley, Diggs, Sanders, they are the same style of player. Daniel Jeremiah always says, build your receiver room like a basketball team. You need a, you need a stretch four. You need a five. Go pick up some boards, right? You need a, a ball handler. The Bills are not built like a basketball team. They got all the same type. And so they, they've struggled to find the, the, the variability kind of in that group that they need to answer some of these questions. Okay. I mean, that that's a, a, a reasonable answer. I mean, the deep threat with John Brown vanished, poof, right in, into thin air. Um, I still feel comfortable laying less than a touchdown on the, with the Bills, and it's really just this talent problem the Saints have that you guys just went through. They're just decimated on offense, and um, I'm fine with the Bills by touchdown. They're also without Troutman for this game, who uh, was a nice little uh, target if you're playing props and you were betting his overs the last few weeks. Um, he was a guy who developed some good chemistry uh, with Trevor Simeon. Now he's sidelined for four to six weeks as well at, at tight end. So they are down pieces. That's why Ben, I think, uh, in part likes the under here. And obviously that's the direction this one has headed. Um, so now we move over to some Sunday games and we're going to run through these a lot quicker than we typically do. We really wanted to give you guys a lot of great breakdown because there's a, a shitload of betting that happens on Thursday for Thanksgiving. And a lot of people, because the games are staggered one after the other after the other, want to know different edges, matchups. Ben, any player props real quick before we go to Sunday from this Thursday night uh, nightcap with the uh, Bills and the Saints that you've been looking at? Uh, nothing particular as of right now. Uh, the main thing I'm monitoring is the Saints running back room in that situation. Uh, I know I said Taysom Hill is a troll job, but in the event that there is uh, no Ingram and no Kamara, Taysom Hill touchdown props become my favorite thing because that's where they use him is in the red zone. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Okay, so let's transition now. And I want to talk about one of the most marquee games. And this is the Indianapolis Colts taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the Colts are on a blistering pace. And this is one of the teams that, um, like, I'm not going to right now. I'll just take another bite of pie instead. But this was a game that we can pat ourselves on the back for because, or a team rather, because we pegged this thing to a T. We talked about, as I eat this more, super rich and delicious. Um, we talked about the fact that this team was going to start slow and was going to get back on track later on. And Frank Reich was going to right the ship. And this team was going to have smooth sailing because we believe in their overall talent. We believe in Frank's scheme. 
We're just not sure about what Carson Wentz is yet. And they have been able to limit the mistakes of Wentz, even though despite his best efforts to throw left-handed into the eye of the storm as many times as possible, um, they have figured out a way to minimize his mistakes. Now they're going up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I got a a lot of different questions for Ben. So this game might go a little bit longer, uh, producer Mike, but the next ones will fly through a little (laughs) bit quicker. First, I want to start with you, House. This game sits at a side of the Bucks favored by two and a half to three. It opened at two and a half, has been bet up to three. Total sits at 51 and a half to 52. Um, Really interesting story on the total. Open at 51. Well, it was a 51 before the game started on Monday Night Football between the Bucks and the Giants. And that was a game that they got Rob Gronkowski back. And so we don't know really what's going to happen in that game. And I'll just divulge, I'll just spill the spill the beans here. I'm talking to Solak over text message before the game starts. And I said, what do you think about the total here? Because we're looking at moving on the over 51. And we want to do that before. Gronk comes out and plays well with Brady and the team ends up scoring a bunch of points and this total opens higher once they reopen it um, after Monday Night Football. And he asks about Vita Vea and what is his health. And so we're not quite sure about that. We end up rolling the dice and saying, we're going to go ahead and, and move on this game. So we bet the over 51. Lo and behold, the Bucks come out, score 30 points. And it was funny. Some of the books, the books usually take this line down, but some of the books kept it up and had some really interesting numbers there. I'm not going to go into more detail than that, but <laughs> suffice it to say there were opportunities to be had in-game betting this game for the next week. Uh, but that being said, this line is now sitting at 52 at a lot of spots, 51 and a half at others, and 51 is a key number. House, what are your initial thoughts? You lay it with the Bucks at three on the road against the Colts. Do you believe in this Colts and you take them as a dog here? Uh, what do you think about the total? Any thoughts on this one before we dig into the matchup with Ben? I don't have a feel at all um, for the total. And I feel like uh, it's entirely attributable to how little I trust Carson Wentz. Uh, I just don't have any sense whatsoever what, what, what to do. There's no orderly game script. The one thing that I like about the Bucks in this situation is the 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 regression that you would anticipate on turnovers that the Colts are going to experience. They're plus seven in turnovers the last three weeks. They have they got four against the Bills. No turnovers themselves over the last three weeks. Plus seven uh, on turnovers. So that that's that to me. Um, I like you know that Tampa's uh, um, run defense. You know the the Bills came into that game last week with a, a, a you know a reputable run defense, but you guys both just observed, you know, maybe that was a little bit of an inflated kind of uh, reputation. The Bucks' run defense is legit, and I I, I feel pretty comfortable, you know, uh, treating that Bucks' run defense as as a full grade better than the Bills' run defense. And I I just think, you know, that the, it's two and a half or three for Tampa. Tampa scored 30 points and left a ton of points out on the field against the Giants on, on Monday night. I mean, that that easily could have been a, a 45 point performance. It, it had that that feeling to me. So I'm, I'm OK with um, I, I, I like Tampa in this spot. OK, so Tampa, no side, no feel on the total. Ben, I want to start with this. Um 
one of the things that attracted me towards thinking that there could be points here, and, and I do agree we got to talk about the Vita Vea situation here, but I'm looking at this Colts defense first and foremost. They've played just two above pa- average pass offenses since fe- facing the Rams in week two, and that was the 49ers in week seven and the Bills in week 11. Ironically, somehow both of those games had rain and bad weather in them, and so we didn't get to see the full upside of those opposing passing offenses. We're talking about the 49ers. That game was a monsoon. And obviously the Bills game had a little bit of wind, some gusty uh, conditions, and also some some wetness coming down. Um, This is their first time the Colts defense facing a competent passing offense with good weather conditions for them to be able to pass the football. Um, Yes, the Bucs, you know, uh, out of their bye, had that kind of, eh, game against Washington. They dropped that game. It was on the road. They come back. They follow it up with this game against the Giants. Uh, put up 30. As House said, they could have put up more. Gronk is back. I don't know when we're going to get AB back. Obviously, it's Tuesday. I have no idea if AB could be up for this game or not, but Gronk was a big factor in the early stages of that game, helping this offense overall. On the other side of things, you've got this Bucks defense, who House did mention You know, they're, they're a legit run defense. But the only thing I can say is if if we believe data, if we believe in numbers at all, like I do think the Bills were a little bit overrated run defense, but they ranked number three. Now, maybe they're not three, maybe they're eight, maybe they're nine run defense, but the, the Colts obviously smashed them. The Colts went up against the number 10 run, de- uh, number seven run defense the week before that, the Jaguars. And Ran really well early in that game. We did t- we discussed some of the adjustments that the Jaguars made, and then the Colts kind of just packed it in and tried to get out of Dodge a little bit too quickly. Um, they had no confidence that this Jags team could threaten them at all. They obviously played the 49ers run defense. That ranked number five back in week seven out in that monsoon. And they played the Rams run defense back in week two and put up 24 points there. So I guess what I ask you this has been, it sounds like Vita Vea, might actually be going, at least according to Bruce Arians, they were going to give it a try. Listening to some medical experts, obviously it's a coin flip as to whether they're going to be right or not, but they seem to be more concerned, not with the, I think it's MCL, but the the, uh, the, the bone, bone bruise, bruise yeah. itself. And it's something that I think could flare up at any point in time. One hit during the game, you could have him out. Uh, he could be fine on practice on Wednesday, Thursdays not step right or have an issue on Friday and then he could be out. So the bone bruise thing is something and and this is a guy that they want long-term for the postseason, not for this particular game. But it sounds like he might be healthy and he might be able to give it a go. Um, Let's start on that side of the ball. How do you see Vita Vea's presence changing the way that the Colts are able to attack this defense. We know he's an absolute stud and a game changer. They did pretty well against the run last week, but Barkley didn't look healthy yet. I don't know. And the Giants run offense is not very good. So talk to me a little bit about that side of the football. When the Colts have the ball here, how do they attack? What difference does Vita Vea's presence make? And what do you think we're going to get out of this Colts offense versus this Bucks defense? Yeah, so I'm with you on that over. Uh, the, the Colts team total is set at 24. I honestly feel like that's a little bit high. I expect the Bucks to more so carry that that water there. And it's because uh, Todd Bowles, defensive coordinator for the Bucks, is an, an, an old school DC in the sense that he will be plus one in the box until he dies. If you're going to put three tight ends on the field and add three more gaps, he's going to put three more guys in the box. Right. If you go, you know, uh, spread out, he's still going to make sure he's got six in the box. So that way he can defend the run. Like that is philosophy 101. And so when this Colts team tries to go heavy to run the football, 
they're going to have the bodies in there that's necessary, in my opinion, to stop it, at least from the arithmetic perspective. Vita Vea in there, a huge advantage. Doesn't matter up against whom he is. We got to remember Quentin Nelson potentially out for this game after he's had his injuries. Hasn't even really been playing that well so far this season. They got Eric Fisher in there at left tackle. He's not really like a road grading, running blocking guy. This is not uh, a, an amazing line. They do a lot more in terms of uh, variability, getting multiple bodies in there, kind of changing up the way they run the football as opposed to just like coming and blowing you off the line. Even if Vea's out, we got to remember, like it's in Dominican Sue, Steve McClendon, Willie Golston, Raheem Nunez Roches. Like it's in a it's a really good defensive front without Vea in there. Uh, so I think that there's the potential for that to mean a little bit too much. Taylor, obviously, with a huge performance of uh, five touchdowns. I think that might get a little bit overvalued as well. I'm just generally shorting the Colts. I think this Bucks defense lines up against them really well. The other thing for me that freaks me out is, and I, I found this by accident this week, uh, the Colts are 25th right now in TD percentage in the red zone. Uh, that's like with Houston and Chicago and Denver and Detroit and Miami. Like, that's not good family to be with. Uh, so if they want to go about their approach the way they have, which is, uh, run the football, run the football, get that chunk gain with DPI, get that chunk gain, and then they get into the red zone and run it against the Bucs, I think we're going to get threes instead of sevens. Uh, and so I, I, I have a lot of trust in this Bucks defense uh, structurally with how they're going to respond to the Colts. If you get good Wentz and good Michael Pittman on the outside, maybe you're able to hang. But to me, uh, uh, this matchup, the more I think about it, the more I feel like the Bucs are in a good spot. Now, we know they've made comments. I mean, Brady made the comments. Bruce Arians made the comments after the game. It's nice to be back at home and to get a win, right? They said that after the game on Monday night about the game at home against the Giants because their prior two games were in New Orleans where they lost and in Washington where they lost. And and so this is a team that has had some issues on the road. They lost in LA uh, back in week three. They barely beat New England in the Brady homecoming game in the rainstorm back in week four. And they uh, beat the Eagles they were up bigger. Eagles got the backdoor cover with the two-point conversion late. Um, is there anything here that makes you think that this is a, for some reason, they aren't going to be able to have success because they're on the road in this spot? Or is this the time of year that you tend to think a team like the Bucks with Super Bowl aspirations off of a bye a couple of weeks ago to make whatever tweaks that they wanted to can get things rolling and hit the down stretch of their season here uh, after Thanksgiving and onward, like really cranked up. Because this, to me, is a Colts secondary that could be exploited here. And Brady and the Bucks, they have the NFL's highest pass rate. They've got a plethora of wide receivers and tight end talent to be throwing the ball to. Um, do, do you see that this offense gets back on track here, or is there anything to the fact that um, you would be nervous about them playing on the road for some reason. Yeah, it's funny. If you were to tell me like, hey, this offense is way worse on the road, you know, guess, they give me the numbers, like guess which one it is. The Bucks would be my like 32nd guess of 32 teams, right? Like like veteran, court, like not veteran right. quarterback, the veteran quarterback, Tom Brady. Uh, veteran center, veteran line. Uh, and so they they should be good on silent counts, right? They should be good on, 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 on you know, like not having procedural penalties. And then you got, good wide receivers who are going to be able to like side adjust on blitzes. Like it shouldn't be a problem. I don't, I don't got a good answer to you as to why it is. Uh, and so because I don't, I'm just going to go, okay, that regret outlier. We're going to be fine. Regress to the mean. You know what I mean? I'm going to, I'm going to believe that we settle into place. The other thing is that, uh, uh, this is a, a cover two defense. Like I said, it's very good against the bills. Not so good against a guy like Brady. You want to play zone all day against Tom Brady. Yeah, Tom Brady's going to complete 85% of his passes, chief. Like it's just not, <laughs> it's, it's never been the way to play him. Uh, 
they've used Leonard Fournette a lot in the passing game. Uh, Colts are 29th in DVOA against running backs targeted. Uh, Fournette on uh, receiving totals continue to be in the mid-20s despite the fact that he gets like five, six targets a game. It's absurd. Uh, so to me, uh, buying the Bucks offense, buying high points, they're over team total 27 and buying Leonard Fournette as well in, in the passing game. To me, like, I, like, like you said, I don't trust this Colts secondary. They played amazing against the Bills. And I watched the film, and I still don't trust this Colts secondary. So to me, yeah, I'm in on the Bills offense altogether. So you don't really have anything there, House, to make you want to steer away from taking the taking the Bucks and laying the three. No, I'm glad that the conversation sort of proceeded to the the point where we're talking about the potential advantage of Brady and the way this offense is designed. Aren't the Colts bad at um, pressure? Aren't they like in the yeah, in the, in the, among the like the lowest teams in the NFL pressure wise. Yeah, so I think they're middling right about now. They've gotten better the more Quiddy Pay has been able to play and settle in as a rookie. Uh, this very much so, and I'm mad you asked me this because I thought I wasn't going to get asked this because Warren didn't ask me this. Uh, <laughs> this very much is like asking me about the Colts defensive line after this game because they have been impressive at times against bad groups. And when Washington surprised this Tampa Bay team, it's because that defensive front played really, really well. Uh, interior as well. John Allen had a great day. DeForest Buckner was a big trade. Quiddy Pay was a first-round pick. Grover Stewart got a contract. Let's go, let's go win a ball game, right? They've got to be able to, to, to move in here and, and, and dominate in that trench. And so I'll go and tell you the Colts defense line's rounding into form on Monday morning and not a, not a day before. So if, if we get there, we get there. But for right now, uh, I think they're, they're getting better, but this is a heat check. Well, I'm just going to believe my own bullshit, and I, I want to roll with Tampa because I like the idea of of Tom sitting back, having all all day long, looking around, got all his options. And you you know when, when we talk about this, we're talking about him processing the field in point zero seven tenths of a second or whatever, right? I mean that's that's his his three progressions happen as quick as anybody in the history of the game. So I, I just you know you guys have mentioned the secondary. Um, I'm going to elect to not trust the Colts uh, putting pressure on Tom Brady, and that is where the Bucks flourish. And I will mention, before we move to the next game, this Indianapolis Colts pass rush has faced the easiest schedule of yeah, opposing offensive lines of the entire season. They've played almost no good offensive lines. One of the, let's put it this way. The Buffalo Bills were the second best offensive line that they played, but the Bills had their whole right side of the line out for that game. Uh, they haven't played a line even close to what the Bucks are since the Rams back in week two. So it is, I mean, and this Bucks offensive line, you saw it. Brady was just, I mean, he could, he could eat a whole s'mores pie and move on to the pumpkin cheesecake in the pocket every time the ball was snapped. He had a ton of time. And then a couple times he did get a little pressure. Boy, this guy put on the Jets. He looked like a young Brady. I think he hurdled somebody. Um, yeah, and, and was running down the field. He he, he made a point. Uh, the uh, the guy after the game said, "How about that ten yard run?" Brady said, "Up oh, eleven yards. Trust me, I know <laughs> it was awesome. eleven yards. <laughs> it was great. It was great." Um, speaking of Brady's old team, I want to talk real quickly about this Titan Patriots game. House. This line sits at six for the Patriots and the Tennessee Titans. The total sits at 44 points. Now, the look ahead in this game was only two and a half for the Patriots. Mm -hmm. But we saw the Titans lose outright, which is a game we picked. We said the we, we liked the Texans. The Titans lost outright. And then, of course, the Patriots on Thursday in Atlanta, short week, destroyed 
the Atlanta Falcons. Now, I will say this. You watch the game and you pretend like the scoreboard doesn't exist. You would have probably thought that the Patriots were up at the end of the third quarter, like 34 to nothing. But the reality is that game was actually much closer on the scoreboard than like the flow and feel of that game was at that point in time. Of course, there was like a pick six late to really seal it. And and the Falcons offense never really was doing anything. But give me your take on this game. Side total. Do you like anything at all in the Patriots hosting the Tennessee Titans? Um I, I hate to confess this. I mean, you know, anything that that tends to to groom the big boss, that tends to make the pod father feel good about himself and his position this season. I mean, the 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 socials for the ringer are running clips of him talking about the Patriots in the Super Bowl from back in September. I mean, God damn, come on. Yeah. But um the Patriots defense is really rounding into form. And the thing that we keep seeing with the Patriots defense, that old Belichick. Hallmark trademark of knowing exactly the one thing that the offense wants to do and taking that one thing away. Well, the poor Tennessee Titans with uh, the, the depletion across their their skill sets. AJ Brown's out. Julio Jones in or out. He's been terrible. Uh, Henry is out. I don't know about uh, Dante Foreman. Is that the backup running Dante, back? Dante, yeah, yeah. Uh, if if the 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 one thing that Belichick has to take away is Tannehill comfort throwing the ball. Then I believe that the Patriots can do that. I believe in the, I mean, that defense just really looks like it's, it's coming together. It was a, an impressive performance of, of guys all being on the same page against the Falcons. So um, I hate to say it, but I'm prepared to lay the six on the Patriots. Yeah, and A.J. Brown might not even be up. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole Belichick will take away your most obvious weapon. I mean, I don't know what Belichick is actually trying right. to take away. It's going to be here. hard to figure out what the obvious that, weapon is to that, take that, away from that, this Titans team. That game plan might go up on the shelf for a week. Belichick might just play with 10 men on defense the entire game. I'm not sure <laughs> what that 11th guy is going <laughs> is to actually do out there. But, um, yeah, so, so Ben, let me ask you this. Uh, the one question that I have for you, and then take, answer it and then go wherever you want to with your thoughts on side total of this game. And then we'll go to the next one. But Ryan Tannehill, when he had Derrick Henry, the biggest difference was not that Derrick Henry was productive because he actually wasn't that much on early downs, the first three quarters, particularly Uh, it was the third down short yardage runs. And it was the fourth quarter runs where he really was elevating himself and this whole team. But what he did was he got the defense to play with these loaded boxes. And with the loaded boxes, um, Ryan Tannehill, A, didn't have to do as much on first down. It was a lot of handoffs. It was a lot easier. And then when they did throw the ball, it was a lot of great coverages behind that because the defense was the off the defense was expecting a run. And so you could trick them and you could throw over the top of them and you could use a lot of creative formations. Now the defenses are not stacking the box at anywhere close to the rate that they were doing before. So Tannehill doesn't have that luxury. He's throwing into the uh coverages that have more players back there that are expecting a pass. And especially when you're trailing on the scoreboard, they're especially expecting a pass. And so that's what we've seen happen with this Tennessee Titans offense. Now you're going up against a a, a great defense. Um, Well, let me put it this way. 
a great defensive coordinator, a great defensive mind who's going to be able to figure out how to best defend the Tennessee Titans. I know they turned the ball over a lot last week. We're probably not going to get four turnovers by Ryan Tannehill in this game. Some of those interceptions were absolutely abhorrent. I mean, just ridiculous <laughs> interceptions. But what do you see side total in this game? Titans catching six points on the road in New England. Total sits right around 44 points. Yeah, I uh, I got that look ahead line at two and a half. And then the games happened and then the books opened and most of them were at like four and there was a book that will not be named that was still at three. And I was like, oh, okay, well, we'll just take that because <laughs> that's that's going to go up. Uh, Patriots are simply too physical of a team. The Titans want to beat you by out physicaling you and have lost Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown and Julio Jones and these players that they wanted to be their, their physical dominant players. So now it's Don Foreman and Nick Aquino Westbrook and Marcus Johnson. It's just not. Not not the same caliber of player. Meanwhile, the Patriots are at full strength on, on their defense, and they're just hammers, right? Just the the Titans aren't built to like outspeed you like the Bills are. They want to out physical teams, and you cannot out physical this Patriots unit. I don't see how the Titans move the ball. Uh, and then on the other side of the the ball, like you brought up with that Falcons game, that's an important one. Patriots offense was working the way it intended, and it still wasn't scoring a lot of points. They get a lead, and then they sit on it. They are a run-heavy team. They milk the clock. They make methodical drives. If you if they have to take three instead of seven, they will, because they trust that three is going to matter with how well that defense plays. Uh, 44 is low. I'm probably still the under on that. At this point, six is is, is maybe a little much. I still think, uh, I just think the Titans are not really going to be able to score, um, because that, that physicality matters so much. Clock's going to run in this one, and that's, that's the main thing. That, that makes me excited about under 44. Yeah, the other thing too about this tight Titans defense is the way that they've been exceeding expectations earlier in the season was they were able to get a lead and then they got that pressure with the four and they didn't have to blitz and so they could play the coverage behind it. And it really didn't matter that they weren't that great against the run. You know, they were one of the worst uh, bottom 10 run defenses in the league, but that didn't matter when you had to throw the ball late and they could still get pressure and play coverage behind it. When you're trailing on the scoreboard and you're going up against a team like the Patriots that wants to out-physical you and run the football, I mean, the Patriots offense, that is going to play right into the weakness of this Titans defense on the ground, the run game. And if they fall behind, I mean, you're almost cooked. So it is a difficult situation. House, did you hear anything from Ben or myself that makes you change your mind on leaning towards the Patriots? It's going to be uh, an element, a leg of a money line parlay. I don't like laying six when a total is forty-four. I just that that's right. a mismatch. So um, that's just the Patriots are are a leg and a money line parlay for me. The way this is uh, shaking out, I will say right now that at this point in this podcast, I think we've taken nearly every favorite um on the board which is an absolutely disastrous approach oh, man. <laughs> this year considering as well. this year that's right uh so proceed with utmost caution enjoy your pie this week everybody but I, I know we got a couple more games but god damn these 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 these, these favorites make sense this week and i'm i, I feel bad about it i don't well, love let me it. throw let me throw a a a potential public dog out there i don't know what the bet splits are going to be it's still early in the week but the Rams versus the Packers. This line opened with the Packers laying one and a half. Now it's down to one. It might move to the Rams being favored here. Um, look, we we have got the Green Bay Packers. Um, obviously, that offense got back on track a little bit out of necessity once they fell into a hole against the Minnesota Vikings. But we have a Rams offense that is playing without Woods, but has had a bye week to maybe do some things differently. And 
I'm interested to see what Sean McVay's offense looks like now coming out the bye week. So I've got some questions for Ben on that. But first of all, House, right now the Packers are laying one point at home and the total sits at 47 and a half to 48 points. Now, interestingly, this line opened at 50, took some sharper money towards the under, got down to 47 and a half at some spots, and now has ticked up a little bit to 48. Uh, that might be the 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 bottom of it for now is 47 and a half. Any thoughts, side or total on this one? I have a lean towards the Green Bay money line, but the Green Bay has all these weird injury things. Do we know what the hell happened to Aaron Rodgers' toe? Do we have an explanation for what happened with his toe? Was that he thinks it's COVID toe? So, which is a thing I didn't know was a thing until Aaron Rodgers said that he had COVID toe. I, and for, I, I, I actually, yeah. I actually have heard of it. Now, I, I um, googled it, and it looks pretty obvious like if 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 it's it's like right. swollen and red and like there's something clearly wrong with your toe so you would kind of know if that's what's going on there but um i i have heard of other people having other toe issues there's just like crampiness and 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 pain in the toe and it's not like bright red and swollen like some of the pictures you google when you google covid toe but that's what it could be house Okay. Well, I, I I'll leave alone any of the forensic investigation of of whether or not it's genuinely COVID toe. I mean, I'd heard an entirely different kind of thing with COVID toe, so I don't know whether or not it applies. But that's not for me. I'm not a medical doctor. Neither is Aaron Rodgers. Um, I also uh, the running back situation still fluid. The thing that it, for the for the Rams, I would say normally coming off the bye week, two weeks to to like formulate and and get mad about how they came out against the 49ers and look shitty, except for all the weird variants we have this NFL season with the bye week. Like the bye week is not a trustworthy thing to say, oh yes, they they, they use the bye week to get themselves right. They're going to come in, figure it out and everything. Uh, so I, I I don't know which way that, that cuts. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and 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 pick the team. The Green Bay to me um, absolutely has the all the elements for a Super Bowl appearance. Um, the, the the Rams have shown a little bit of vulnerability. We we came into the season all oh, Rams, 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 rah rah Rams. Green Bay looks better to me. So it's just, just they're at home. Green Bay money line. That's it. It's not very complicated. That's the, that's the best I can do. Yeah, so Ben, there's more questions than there are answers potentially in this game. Like, what is the role for Odell in this Rams offense as they come out of the bye? Uh, how much different does this offense look on the other side of the ball? And they've got all the namesakes there, right? They've got all the key players. Uh, they added Von Miller. He should be up to, I would assume, full speed at this point with a, with a full week off after getting a little bit of work against the 49ers. You have Aaron Donald. You're going up against this Packers O-line that just lost their right tackle. Bakhtiari is still out. I mean, they've got, they have some issues along the line there. Um, obviously, Aaron Jones is out for another game. This Rams team is reeling. They can't afford another loss against a team that they're going to be fighting for playoff seeding with, and that's the Green Bay Packers. Where do you see this game falling, and then do you have an opinion on the side or total? Yeah, I, uh, I this is good. I'm oppo house, I think, for the first time. Uh, the Packers are the better team overall. Right now, they aren't, and it goes back to the injury thing, right? Uh, Aaron Jones not guaranteed to play. A.J. Dillon had his first rep at full volume, just didn't look amazing. Uh, Alan Lazard potentially out. He's their 
second best receiver if you factor in the blocking ability, which is really important to the way this team runs. Uh, Rashawn Gary hyperextended his elbow. We're playing deep in the layout at the edge. He was a practice squatter to start the year. And then, like you brought up, Alton Jenkins and David Bakhtiari both still out. Uh, Green Bay has struggled setting protections this year with all the offensive line movement that has happened, like all the guys moving around, changing positions. It makes it hard to to play blitzes. Guess who's the best five-plus-man pressure team in the league? Los Angeles Rams. Uh, and they've had two weeks to take a look at how the Packers like to get into their looks. Uh, throw Vaughn Miller in the mix there, and then you don't even have to send five as often as you might want to. Um, I expect this defense to play really well against the Packers. Uh, I think they match up nicely, especially with Jones out, because the Packers are going to want to control the game by running the football against light boxes, what they did in the playoffs. Without Jones, they're relying on Dylan to do that. Dylan can, I believe it, but I didn't see it great last week. And so it's, it's, a, it's a little bit tough to fully invest in that. Meanwhile, uh, on the offensive side of the ball, I agree. Rams have had an, uh, a free week now to say, okay, we're dealing with pressure up front. We're dropping back probably a little bit too much. We got to use play action a little bit more. They're starting to get these no blitz looks that Mahomes was getting, right? Allen's getting only four-man rushes. What's going to be our answer to that? That bye week, I think, does help the Rams because they're a smart coaching staff and I trust them. They're a veteran team. I expect them to come off it sharp. So plus one, I'm very happy to get and take now, especially because I think as we get injury news, I'd be surprised if this doesn't swing to the other side. So I'll take the CLV plus the team that I think off the bye week just has a nice edge. Okay. And, uh, and what about the Adams-Ramsey matchup here? We have seen this last year in the mm-hmm. postseason. Uh, I think that the receptions prop might have been like five and a half. Um, and people were wondering, was Aaron Rodgers going to shy away from that side of the field? How much is Ramsey going to take him away? And what we ended up seeing is the Packers actually targeted Devontae Adams a lot. I think he caught nine of 10 targets. It was short targets, get the ball in his hand. There's some crossing route stuff trying to pick off Ramsey uh, across the middle of the field as Devontae Adams is rolling out to his left from the right side. Um, How do you see that matchup playing out this second time around? Do you see a similar strategy for the Packers? Just throw it short, get it into his hands, or do you see them doing anything different? Exact same strategy, exact same results where Adams will get his, he'll get like a key third down conversion, he'll get like the touchdown. But when you go and you look back at the game, you'll go, oh, that was a good Devontae Adams game. He didn't you know, destroy the field for four quarters the way that we've seen him do. This Rams team, less so last year, especially this year, with the way that they, they've struggled to get corner two in their nickel corner established, are a team that you want to take Ramsey away with with this guy, like A.J. Brown, whoever, and then throw it to your second receiver, throw it to your third receiver. The Packers are not built to do that. Packers are built to throw to Devontae Adams, and they got to play like Jawan Winfrey and Amari Rodgers and, and Equinemius St. Brown with the injuries they've been dealing with. Uh, not the matchup you want in the passing game because Ramsey's going to follow Adams wherever he goes, and he'll get his because Adams is very good. But in general, you want to be throwing to Darius Williams and David Long, and the, the Packers aren't really deep at wide receiver right now. So again, when I, when I look at this the situational matchups, I do like the Packers as a team better overall, especially when healthy, but the Rams have a really nice look coming out of the bye. All right, so House, any final thoughts after hearing Ben's analysis on this game? I had the Packers in a multi-leg money line parlay, and I just went and bet the Rams just and, and, and in my book, it's, just a quick hedge. It's a pick, exactly. I I have it at minus one ten on a pick 'em, so I just went ahead and laid the juice, and that I'm covered off on my uh, money line parlay. It's fine. I can't wait. I can't wait to hear the feedback if the Packers end up rolling in this game. And some yeah, somehow, how about it? Uh, Ben's already looking forward to that. Okay, last game we're going to touch on. I think might be one of House's favorites of the week. It's the Minnesota Vikings against the San Francisco 49ers. Right now, the Minnesota Vikings are catching a full. 
three to three and a half. It looks like if you wait a little bit, you might be able to get more spots that are popping up with the three and a half. Right now, I see it at some spots, um, and it's certainly a heavy three. Total sits at 48, right around 48 and a half. Some spots, not much movement there. House, where are you looking at this game? So you mentioned a a public dog earlier, and I thought who you were going to to talk about was indeed these these Minnesota Vikings because uh, they they caught all kinds of of buzz finally in 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 major media. I mean, ESPN spent a little bit of time on them as part of the Monday night uh, run up. And look, the the Vikings have been really competitive this season, notwithstanding their five and five record. I mean, I think they're um, expected wins are in line with, you know, seven and three teams, uh, maybe even eight and two. They, they haven't lost any, uh, uh, game. Well, n- not at, not any game, but their, their, their losses tend to be by three or less. And so catching the extra half point, um, in this instance, if you can get the three and a half is wonderful. And the funny thing with that, with this line is how bad, San Francisco under Kyle Shanahan has been as a home favorite for three seventeen and one against the spread, which is just insane. Like I, I don't uh, understand it. We talked about it um, in the context. I can't remember the the a, a recent game we went through this exact same thing. And, and San Francisco lost at home. Sharpie, um, the Vikings uh, yeah, that was offense, against the Cardinals. Cardinals, right? I trust the Vikings offense. I, I trust Kirk Cousins. Can you believe it? How, how do you like that? Well, I, I can't even get it right. You like that. He did it here in Washington. Yeah, I can't do like it anymore. That. You like that. It didn't make sense when he said it. That's why it's, it's hard still, to remember. The grammar was and wrong. I, I lived it. I was here for it. Um, here, here's the thing. Uh, did you see Mike Zimmer's girlfriend? Did you see this news that came out today? I mean, oh, really, I, saw, I, I saw it. Yeah, I mean. It's really unbelievable. It. Like, what? Well, I mean. Congratulations, Mike Zimmer. It's like an Instagram model that's 25 years younger than him. Now, I know he had there was a tragic thing that happened in his life with his previous wife, but uh, that to me is like just all all signs are pointing um, towards the the, the Vikings. I, I like them in this spot catching three and a half would be is, is best, but I also like them catching the three. Well, you know how like, I think he's been dating this girl for a while now. It's true. So it's not it's like it's not as if like he just started dating her now. Like everything's gonna come up roses for him. Like he's had he's been dating her for this whole season, and yes. the team has f- fallen short of expectations <laughs> left and right <laughs> along the way. So um, I don't know that the news leaking that he's actually dating this girl is gonna suddenly turn everything on a dime. But uh, Ben, this is obviously a, f- a fascinating game. Um, I think it's going to be a fun one to watch. Surprisingly enough, like these are two quarterbacks that I don't think a lot of people league wide. You say name the top five quarterbacks, name the quarterbacks that you like. Nobody's naming these guys really, but Kirk Cousins is doing really nice things lately this year. And then Jimmy G, I mean, he's passing for 9.3 yards per attempt over the past month. He's been surprisingly efficient within the things that Kyle Shanahan's asking him to do. It's a lot of I guess what we would potentially call easy stuff. It's stuff underneath, a lot of yards after the catch, but these are great designs that Kyle Shanahan is coming up with his offense and Garoppolo is avoiding pressure, getting the ball out and and making some smart decisions overall. How do you see this game playing out and do you like anything side total three for the 49ers, 48 for the game total? Yeah, so I made this at four 
Uh, and so when the Niners had two and a half, I bought it because I thought we'd get past the field goal. And it looks like we did. And I think we'll stay there. Uh, so rooting for Niners by three for our sakes here, house. But uh, to me, right, th- what what is notable is that the Niners are getting healthy, right? We talked about how that Cowboys stinker was like, oh, man, they're just so banged up. Keith Tart's back. Dre Greenlaw's back. Uh, they got they, they switched out the corner position a little bit. So now they got Diamondor Lenore in there, who I think is a better player for them. Jeff Wilson's back, changes some of the run concepts that they can use. And then critically, above all else, George Kittle's back. Kittle's the straw that stirs the drink in terms of how they disguise their concepts, how they get into their formations, all the stuff he can do for them is just so important to the multiplicity of this team. That's what lets you, like you say, just have Jimmy Garoppolo throw like middle of the field slants 15 times a game and all of a sudden he has like 250 yards. Like, how did this happen, right? It's just, this is how this offense is supposed to go. Uh, And so I like Minnesota. Uh, I like how Minnesota keeps games close. I love how Minnesota gives up big leads. Live betting against the Vikings has been one of my favorite pastimes on Sundays this year. Had a great time doing it against the Packers because we cashed all those bets too. Uh, but I, I did take the, the Niners at two and a half. And I, and I do prefer the Niners in general to the Vikings. They have a little bit more star power, especially on defense. Did not know the 317-1 stat when I took the line with that set. <laughs> and that freaks me out. Uh, I don't love that. Um, but yeah, I think right. Tight one, fun one, and whatever team loses is going to be extremely pissed off fan base when they do. So let me ask you this. One question to follow up is when the Vikings are down, they seem to kick it into gear and go to like their game, their their A game plan, which is the B game plan for most of the game where they get conservative and they run the ball a lot and they don't use their best plays. But when they have to go to the A game plan, if they're trailing, that is throw the ball a lot to Justin Jefferson, who's a complete freak, and let Kirk pass the football. And the average, I want to say two weeks ago, at least this was, on early downs when trailing, they have the highest EPA per pass attempt in the entire NFL. Um, so how do you see this 49ers, assuming the 49ers have the lead here at some point, how do you see them matching up against Justin Jefferson and trying to minimize the upside of the Vikings passing offense here? I think they match up with Justin Jefferson with Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, (laughs) D Ford, right? Like that's, that's your answer here is we got to move cousins off the spot. Uh, they do not have a man cover corner who can ride with Jefferson. I think two teams in the league do. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, he's that sort of player right now. You can cloud him, right? You can play with that that cover two safety over the top, play with the corner underneath, and then you're just going to get feeling targets so the cows come home. You know what I mean? That's the nice thing about having those two guys opposite one another. Uh, the, right, the Vikings play distribution is maddening. And that's honestly one of the things that, keeps me feeling pretty good about the Niners minus two and a half is I don't think the Niners will build a big lead. And because of that, I don't think the Vikings will become pass heavy. And because they won't become pass heavy, they won't become the most dangerous team they can be. And so I I would worry about fading them in a spot where they might go on a super pass heavy script because they're down early. That's not how the Niners play ball, right? The Niners are going to run the football and the Niners are going to keep this thing 10 point game and they're going to continue to hand it off to Dalvin Cook against the the, the quarters looks that the, the, the Niners give them. So, uh, for as talented as Justin Jefferson is, we got to get that young man out of Minnesota because they don't treat him right. It's about as simple as that. Well, speaking of being treated right, House, I feel privileged with your generosity with these pies. They were absolutely magnificent. I think I'm going to rate the s'mores pie an 8.3. And the reason I'm going 8.3 is because Chocolate is not one of my favorites, and this is extremely, extremely chocolatey. I do like chocolate. I just don't love chocolate, so I can't go higher. But 
if I wanted a piece of chocolate, this is a perfect chocolate pie. It's got that slight marshmallow on the top. It's not overwhelming. It's not too gooey and gobby in your mouth. That's going to like, it's it's perfect for a podcast eating pie because if you get too much marshmallow, you can't talk and you got marshmallow streaming from your upper jaw to your lower jaw and it just creates havoc inside the mouth area. So this was the perfect amount of shaved chocolate on the top as well. Uh, they did a phenomenal job and, and you did a phenomenal job as well sending these to us. I'm I'm really thankful for that, my friend. Uh, so a- absolutely my pleasure. Uh, I think the s'mores pie really to me tastes like the holidays. And that that's where we are. We're, we're kicking off this beautiful stretch. I am thankful for both of you guys. Unbelievable. The NFL gambling show here on the ringer has been a tour de force this whole season. Um, very happy to be sharing pie with you guys. We didn't really give out very much blame pie today. We were, we were in, in the proper kind of, um, gracious, grateful, right. thoughtful, uh, uh, generous, Thanksgiving mode, and I'm glad we did it. And I didn't. We didn't even really make too many uh, of these coaches uh, eat cake. I think we did did pretty good. Shout out to the Call Your Mother Deli here in the DMV. Ben Solak enjoying uh, the beautiful Bob Evans pies out in yeah. in the beautiful Midwest. Ben, you I know you have some apple pie there. Go get yourself a slice of cheddar. Uh, yeah, listen. If you like cheese with apples flat out, then cheese with apple pie makes sense. I've tried it, and I will say. It is pretty good. Is it? Is it, anyway, is that going to be an audible that you're going to make with the rest of that pie, Ben? So, like tomorrow, are you going to audible to the cheese on top? Oh, uh, you know what? I don't know if we have cheddar cheese in the house right now. Uh, but if we do, I will throw it on there. I'll take a pick for y'all, and I'll I'll give you a Warren Sharp out of ten decimal rating on it as well. Yeah, do that. We need to know. I want to know naked pie versus cheddar on top. I and mean, we need to know the rating scale, how much the cheddar actually improves, what percentage improvement we get there. But no, this was a ton of fun. And I think the thing that we're all the most thankful for, this gambling show is in its first season. Obviously, we're not even through its first season. And it's thanks to all you guys who keep tuning in uh, and giving us these great reviews and rating the podcast uh, is what's keeping the lights on over here. And we're really thankful that you guys are enjoying the shows this year, three a week, uh, one with Solak on Wednesdays, one with House on Fridays, one with Verno on Mondays. It's been a blast, guys. So this is the last show you're going to get until next Monday with Chris Vernon. Thank you, of course, for listening. Thanks to Joe House and Ben Solak for joining me on this. Thanks for the pies and uh, for the, uh, who is it? Call your mother. Uh, Call house. your mother. Absolutely. Call your yeah. mother out of the DMV. Great job for you fellas to share these pies with us. Thanks to Mike Wargon. Thanks to Craig Holbeck for producing the show. We will see you guys on Monday. Please take a moment, spend some time with the fam, imbibe on your, your beverages, your food, get your full share of football on Thursday, but really take a moment to reflect on why you should be thankful because all of us, whether we have a little or a lot, have a lot to be thankful for when you really spend a moment to think about it. Take care of your mentals, everybody. Enjoy your holiday, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity 
on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at UGG.com. 